Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 42 of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hey there, Husker fans and football fans. That's right. We're accommodating to all types here. You know, Husker fans, non-Husker fans, we'll take everybody. There you go. <laughs> Alrighty then. Um, so, uh, to start with, uh, we wanted to uh, bring back an old tradition that we've kind of uh, been neglecting in the past few podcasts. Yes, um, we have. I believe you've got that covered over there, Dad. I, I do. You know, we, we need to be drinking a cold beverage while we're having this podcast. And I've been negligent because of uh, just, I don't know, being uh, not on top of my game. <laughs> so now I am. There we go. There we go. Back to the tradition. There you you go. know that that reminds me that we're gonna uh, you're going to be we're gonna be with each other about a month from now, so we're gonna have to do a podcast when you're home uh, visiting, and mm-hmm. we're gonna have AJ here, and we're gonna have to have a ho- so we'll have a special guest on pe- podcast forty three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. That'll be a fun time for sure. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Um, so there's a couple big things that have happened since we last did a podcast. Um, one of which being, of course, the Nebraska 2017 spring game. Um, I, I, I was bad and didn't, uh, kind of forgot about it, didn't watch it when it was airing, but I caught up, uh, last week. You, you know, you shouldn't admit that to your father, much less the group <laughs> might be listening to this podcast because you, you, you know, you lose credibility with me anyway. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe that's but true. you did watch it on uh, on rerun, right? Right. I, I watched it online on BTN's website. Yeah, um, there you go. So I was able to enjoy it without any commercials, which was nice. That is cool. Yeah. Um, Love today's technology. <laughs> yeah, certainly a lot better than the old days where you were. You still have all your VHS tapes of all your recorded games. Yeah. In fact, it's one of the things I am challenged with right now. For those uh, in the podcast realm, I have been an avid Husker fan for many years and effectively have a video of every televised Nebraska game that I could get my hands on or record myself since 1983. So uh, I have a lot of drawers and cabinets filled to the brim with VHS tapes. I've been converting them to, to DVD, but, you know, the quality is so poor. (laughs) <laughs> compared to what we now enjoy that I find myself watching them less and less frequently. <laughs> and some of these games are, of course, now showing up on things, places like YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if I'm going to continue that process. What do I do with all these tapes, Alex, as we embark on our adventures uh, going forward? Well, I, personally, I, I think putting them on DVDs makes sense because at least, you know, then you can watch them if you want to even if the quality is bad uh, at least yep. you have it that way if they stand the vhs the, tapes you're not going to be able the, to do that the problem is i i uh, i can't record it at high speed i have to report record at real time and right. you do the math on how many football games that is buddy right <laughs> yeah well if you 
you just like you know before you go to work you know put one in and then after you come back you know put another one in you know you could have a system yeah. going where like it within a few weeks you know you'd have a good number of tapes done yeah that's true good point valid point Paul. all right but there um, you go. the obviously one of the main things people were looking for in this uh spring game was uh what we were going to be getting in terms of the uh quarterbacks because we you know we have a new quarterback situation um and uh it didn't disappoint in that regard we got to see uh, all three of our kind of main uh the main competitors tander lee patrick o'brien and tristan gebbia all competing and we know now that tander lee does in fact have the starting position um which makes sense to me you know he was uh you know the most productive a QB of the day. Although, uh, if I were Tanner, I wouldn't get too comfortable there because I think Patrick O'Brien is not that far behind him. I, I would absolutely agree with you. Uh, uh, I, I think that's why they held out as long as they did because they, they there was genuinely uh, you know competition between those two. And frankly, uh, um, young Tristan, uh, uh, you know, did very well, especially. I think you can see the, the talent that Tristan has. And so we now are in a situation where we have three very talented quarterbacks, I think, that are in place. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, get, uh, Tristan was impressive to me, uh, especially considering that he you know, just came in this spring, so he's a true freshman, you know, uh, and, yeah. you know, he, he, he should be going to his prom. <laughs> right. Well, and he, he, you know, he put up a, a, there was a nice drive there where he, you know, put up like a full 80 yard drive against the first team defense, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he played for the red team a little at the end. Um, so if he's, you know, that good and poised as a true freshman, then the hope would be, you know, that our future is bright with him. Absolutely. I think, I think those guys are going to continue to to get better. I, I just hope they all continue to have a good attitude. I, I'm particularly, uh, um, you know, anxious to watch uh, Patrick O'Brien because he's got the stature. He's got all the physical tools, you know, everything that you would want in a, in, in a pro style type of quarterback, but he's going to have to demonstrate some patience. Now he's only a redshirt freshman. So it's not like the guy's been around and, you know, he's going to get all anxious, but at the same time uh, I look at him and, and recognize that we, we now have a junior that's been named the starter, and um, and that uh, starter is, you know, if he stays for two years, if he stays for both years, you know, that now that's a bit of an issue because now Patrick O'Brien is looking at his, you know, junior year before he is going to get a real shot at the starter, starting job. And, and then by then, Tristan will have been in a – programming for a couple of years as well he will have been in the weight room and been able to bulk up and get himself physically ready for division one football and so there's going to be some competition there but you know what you don't come to a place like nebraska and not expect to have competition so i hope he takes that kind of attitude and approach and is willing to uh, fight with everybody to to win his opportunity right well and i like i said um based on what i was seeing at the uh spring game you know uh the, the difference between Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien doesn't seem to be too great. Um, now, no. of course, you know, it remains to be seen like in a game time scenario, you know, how they both do versus a scrimmage. But um, 
I could certainly see, you know, if, if Tanner is struggling, you know, for like the first half of a game, uh, I, I certainly within the realm of possibility that Riley would bring in O'Brien just to see if, you know, he can yeah. spark up the team. Absolutely. And I'm hopeful that uh, that Patrick sees it that way and, and recognizes all he has to do is go back in time and look at our recent history as a football program. And I mean, you can go back to even uh, Bocalini's era with uh, with Taylor Martinez and, and, and the number of, of times in the seasons that have recently you know been completed here that we have had a quarterback who was playing really, really injured right. and, and should not have been out there, right? And that includes, you know, even Tommy Armstrong last year. I mean, there were some games there, particularly late in the season, that he should not have been playing. Uh, it would have been so much better had we had the depth to be able to have put him on the sidelines for a game, let him get truly healthy, and and not feel like you were taking such a big step back. And, and you know, our team makeup relied on Armstrong so much last year that when we lost his legs, uh, that was a, a, a death knell to our offense's productivity. Right. And, you know, obviously we want to uh, redshirt uh, Gebbia, I'm sure, this year. But if it came down to it, you know, a situation where, like, both O'Brien and Lee were, you know, out, I mean, that is a possibility. Like, we, I think we... You know, this is the first time in a while where we could say we have like three quarterbacks that could all, you know, operate our offense. Right. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what uh, what else stood out to you about the the spring game uh, in terms of players? Um, there was, uh, I believe, it was Austin Rose as a running back. He had some nice plays. He did actually. There's a couple of guys there. Uh, uh, Austin Rose and uh, um, uh, uh, Wyatt. Gosh, Ma- darn it! Now Wyatt Mazur. Thank you. That that young man. He's uh, from Nebraska also, and uh, he's a, one of our walk-ons. And is a kid that has some real good wiggle. Uh, he's he's built really low to the ground, but he showed some incredible vision. And um, I expect that he's going to be a guy that will be able to contribute. And then we have, you know, our three scholarship players that have, have that we're kind of already familiar with and they they all did well too. They did okay. Now the problem is there wasn't any one of them that was like, "Oh my gosh, this guy's going to be a superstar." They you know, they all seem to be solid. And so they just need to keep working hard and keep getting better and becoming more complete as running backs and I think we're going to be in sound shape there. Do we have a a massive difference maker? I don't think we do. We don't have a guy that's going to be like able to make yards on his own, you know, like the premier backs of college football and, and, and the NFL, of course. Uh, but but we have some really, really solid players there. Yeah. Well, it was fun, too. In the, I didn't realize until I watched the spring game that we're going to have uh, Amir as a, as a commentator. <laughs> that was well, fun. Well, he was just doing that. Yeah, he was just doing that, uh, you know, since it's off season for the Detroit Lions. So Right. Yeah, that was fun, though, you know, kind of getting his perspective. And, of course, he would, you know, talk up uh, Ozigbo because he played a lot with him and things of that nature. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, no, that, that all stood out to me. And then some uh, receivers, too, I've got down here. Uh, Kean Williams and J.D. Spielman, they both had some nice 
Absolutely. Catches. And both of those guys have uh, some, some, some history there. They're kind of chomping at the bit to, to prove themselves. Uh, the young Williams is, as I believe the son of one of our assistant coaches. And so, um, um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that maybe some might've questioned whether it was good for us to, you know, give that young man a scholarship, but that's the way it goes. Uh, when you, when you have a, a coach's son, you have to do that. That's an NCAA rule. Um, there's circumstances that have to be demonstrated, but the bottom line is, is that that's a scholarship that is shown up to be well worth it. I think he's a guy that will really contribute. And then JD Spielman is a guy we've been waiting for. We've been, you know, in his redshirt year, he was, you know, wowing the, the, the scout team. And so he's a guy that we've been waiting for. And he certainly showed in the spring game, why people are excited about, uh, his future. Yeah. I'm trying to remember back, um, which quarterback was it? There was there was one uh, pass that was really beautiful, like uh, probably 30, 30 yard pass, maybe more. Into yeah, the, it was about forty into, into the, the corner, corner of the end zone. Yep. It was like perfectly yeah, that, thrown, and that was to Spielman, I believe. And uh, yeah, that and that was Tanner Lee. That was that Tanner. was a that's an NFL throw right there. He dropped that in the bucket. Yeah. Absolutely, and that's the thing is that what we saw just in general from our quarterbacks in terms of their decision-making, their ability to see the field. Now, again, they were playing against a very vanilla defense. This thing, this spring game was designed to be able to show where we're at with the, with our, with our offensive skill talents. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, um, as we prepare for the real games coming next fall, the challenge we're going to have uh, is that over these coming months, it's very, very important that our, our quarterbacks obviously continue to mature in their knowledge of the system because all of them are going to be relatively new. None of them have any real snaps uh, in, in games uh, other than um, uh, Taylor, uh, uh, Tanner Lee, who was a starter at, at the Division One level for two years at Tulane. So he at least has started football games, but, but not under Riley's system. Right. So there, there's a lot there that needs to happen. Uh, but, but even more important than their development because they're coming along well and I, I'm not I'm confident where they're headed is that offensive line is our offensive line going to be able to to protect these young quarterbacks and and give them the time to go through the progressions that they want to go through because I think they're going to do very well if they're given that time mm-hmm. yeah well uh, that was one of the things I was reading on the Husker Max website in terms of like impressions about the spring game because just looking at our offensive line in terms of um you know, seniority and like time, you know, we have a lot of seniors, you know, people coming back from last year. Um, but as we all know, you know, last year we had a lot of issues on the offensive line with them being able to protect Armstrong right. and all that. So yeah, the, we, we definitely need to see some improvement in that regard. See the seniors, you know, kind of step up to the challenge and really uh, step up their game. Yes. And, and the thing is we've got some, we've got a lot of youth in, in the offensive line as well, Alex. And I think it's going to be important that, that those younger guys start to emerge because they're actually uh, talented. If you, if you believe their press clippings from high school. And so it's, it's now their turn. And so we need those guys to step up and become a unit and actually give us not only a good starting five, but some depth behind them. So again, as the season progresses, we're not having a piecemeal, a skeleton, together here and and swing people all over the place just to get five guys that can function uh, because we don't have enough depth 
I want us to get to the point where we've got you know ten legitimate Division One offensive linemen ready to go, and it's just a matter of the competition between the two deciding which one plays. Right. Because when when you're in that situation, those other guys, those backups, generally are going to see quite a few snaps just because of the nature of the game. Yeah. And another thing that I liked watching the spring game was that, um, you know, because obviously we know that they're going to be going towards this different offense, you know, more pro style, you know, sit back and pass it kind of offense. Uh, but we still uh, ran it a good bit, um, you know, kept that pretty balanced, um, which is something that Riley did last year as well, um, maybe leaning a little bit more towards the rushing than the passing. And I think we might see that, you know, maybe be 60 uh, passing 40 rushing, you know, but I think he's trying to keep that balance in there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he wants to have that, that guy, but you're also going to see a lot of uh, short check down type passes that are going to go to tight ends and to those running backs. So a lot of the, the running back yardage, if you will, is going to end up being showing up in the passing statistics just because of the nature of his offense. Uh, but, uh, but that's okay. You know, as long as we're effective with it. And ultimately, you're, you're right. You, you, we still need to be able to establish a running game. We need to be able to have a control offense so that when we do find ourselves in a good situation where we've got a lead, we can sit on that lead and, and, and run out a clock uh, and control a game. Uh, and the only way you do that is, 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 is by having a running game or a short controlled passing game that really is effective. Right. Yeah, and then in terms of the defense, like you say, there wasn't as much to talk about because they weren't running the the 3-4 defense that Diaco is uh, bringing to the table. Um, It was more uh, vanilla, as you said. Um, But there were some interesting things, like uh, they were talking, the commentators were talking a good bit about how they moved Kalu to safety, um, and he seemed to be doing uh, rather well there. Right, well, and he was was one of our starters as a corner, and so there is some concern as to whether or not we have enough depth at corner having moved them. And I think, I think the, the experiment of moving Kalu to safety, uh, we'll see you know, what happens in the fall. But I think it, it's going to have to do with, uh, with the incoming freshmen. And if any of those are going to be able to fill in and, and you know, fit in some gaps there. But ultimately, they want to make sure they have their best players on the field. And I think that to, to accomplish that, they felt that moving Kalu to safety was the right thing. They're, they're giving a lot of people chances at safety, that's for sure. The, the safety has been a turnstile of, of uh, you know, candidates. So, so that's obviously a very important position in Diaco's defense. And so he wants to make sure he has his two best guys back there. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, is there anything else you want to say about the spring game? Anything else that stood out well, to you? You know, a couple of things. Uh, so first, uh, I would say, you know, the whole experience, the, the ambiance of that event, uh, you know, I, I got I to gotta say I just I love the way Nebraska and their athletic department is, is embracing that. And, and going forward in our next topic, it's, it's going to become apparent how critical this is going to be and the fact that we've already kind of got the wheels in motion. This is very much a game day type environment in Lincoln, uh, and we're one of really just a handful of schools that have been able to already get it to that point. I mean, there's, there's a lot of schools now that are getting the kind of attendance that we get, uh, but m- uh, many of them are, you know, free admission type of situations. I think Nebraska has really got themselves set up where the, the fan base as well as the, the athletic administration have really embraced that as an event. And uh, they've got baseball games going on. They've got 
They've got demonstrations going on from other sports. I mean, it, it is a, an event-filled weekend, not just the spring game. And, and, I, and I love that because it's such a critical tool. We had some upwards of 35 or more uh, recruits on campus for the spring game. And that spring game has become huge for us and, in fact, was huge this year in terms of getting, uh, securing effectively three uh, commitments. And, and there's probably going to be as many as five or six that will come out of that weekend where guys really solidified their interest and passion for Nebraska at that time. And it's just a matter of timing when they're going to make their announcement because of what they want to do as individual people. Uh, but but uh, we're in a great position with those players because of the experience they had on that weekend. Right. So just great recognition by uh, Riley, his staff, Eichhorst and his staff, everybody to make that thing happen. Uh, and then the second thing I would say is, is that overall, the performance of the team, they were just clean, efficient, uh, both offensively and defensively. I think you saw some, uh, some really good things defensively. One of the concerns that I've expressed in previous podcasts was that the, uh, with the change in the defensive alignment to a 3-4 that we were going to end up with uh, not enough linebackers and, and you know the 3-4 was going to help us shore up our defensive line a little bit. Uh, I, I am less concerned about the linebackers after watching the spring game. I actually think we have enough pieces that, uh, of the puzzle that, that seem like they've got the skill sets that we want that once we get to that 3-4, I think we're going to be okay. The challenge is going to be getting guys that can rush the passer. Uh, I, I think at this point, if, if you were to highlight two critical weaknesses of Nebraska's team that must get better between now and our first game in the fall, it's going to be, number one, the offensive line as a unit, and, and particularly the tackles, and number two, uh, our defensive ends and, uh, and outside linebackers. That, that grouping there that is going to be the ones that will be the primary reason for us to have success uh, in getting heat on a quarterback or not, I don't know that we have difference makers there. I think we have some solid players, but I'm not sure that we have difference makers. And so I'm anxious to see if some of those guys start to emerge and get comfortable in their spots. But it sure seems like we're better than I thought we were. Mm -hmm. So that's the positive of it. Yeah. No, and I, I agree. Um, you know, certainly seeing like 80,000 Nebraska fans, you know, showing up for a, uh, scrimmage more or less, you know, uh, has got to incite some um, confidence in recruits, you know, some excitement. Right. Well, and just the way that they organize it and so that those kids have such a great weekend. So many of them, you know, again, at this point, those those young athletes are paying their own way to get to Lincoln. Uh, oftentimes, many of them brought family members or other significant uh, folks, whether it was a mentor or whatever, with them. Uh, so that they could get the taste of it for as well. And it sounds, from what I've been able to read and, and gather from my in, uh, contact, uh, is they all seem to have been given a, the absolute red carpet treatment. The the they have their questions were answered. Uh, they were treated to a, a great time, even though it wasn't an official visit. You know, all the information it was all lined up for them to have a good weekend, very productive great information and then of course the experience of the spring game is really cool so you add all that up and it's and it's an absolutely spectacular weekend and i believe everyone's going to have to do that going forward uh we're just ahead of the game a little bit because we've been doing it now 
for well beyond a decade. I, I would say we're pushing 20 years. It, it, it goes back to the 1990s, really, that we began to see uh, significant attendance to spring games way before anybody else saw it as a popular thing to do. We were already there, and we've just kind of matured it now to another level. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of those uh, those recent changes and looking towards the future of recruiting and things of that nature. Um, as we've talked about on the past podcast, there were some uh, uh, proposals before the NCAA like, uh, committee in terms of changing uh, some things about official visits and how early signing day could be and things of that nature. And some of those uh, have recently uh, kind of come down from on high. They've made their decisions um, in uh this in the middle of April, um, and the biggest one, of course, being the one we talked about before, that um, you'll be able to uh, start a visit, official visits from the beginning of April through the end of June. Is that right? Right, exactly. And that, that early ability to, to, to have players do official visits prior to the end of their junior year uh, opens the door for spring spring practice visits, obviously, and then the early summer visits. And that is huge for small population areas like Nebraska. So uh, that, that is the big news for, um, for Nebraska. Uh, now, nationally, I think most would, would suggest that the, the bigger uh, of the decisions that came down, and again, the, I think these still need to go through one more level of approval, but it has historically been kind of a rubber stamp approval, and that's why everybody's presuming that it's going to happen. Uh, but but the uh, the bigger item is the fact that they've actually created a early signing period, if you will, sometime in December. I don't remember the exact date or timing that they have set up for it, but it's going to be in an early December, you know, before Christmas kind of thing. Uh, and it's going to it's going to really change the dynamic of the recruiting process because it's going to allow coaches and and players to who who want who make their verbal commitments and want to finish the process because they've made their decision, they're going to be able to finalize that, formalize that in in that early December time frame. And then there's going to be a second signing date, as there has always been in the first Tuesday of February. And that uh, is going to take on a very different flavor now because if if what I believe is going to happen happens with this early signing period, the vast majority of players are going to sign at that time. And um, if you have a commitment uh, prior to that as, a, as an institution and that kid doesn't sign with you in that early December time frame, you now know he's not really committed to you. He's kind of trying to create a, a reservation for you. Okay, So it helps you know separate the real commitments from the not-so-committed commitments, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's going to be great, and, 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 and it will allow – players then to to kind of make that clear as well that they're still not fully ready to sign on that dotted line because they they are you know anticipating or hoping for another offer so so now you know that they like you but you're kind of their second choice or their third choice and they're going to wait and see if number one or number two comes in and now for those schools that get those kids early signed now they can focus let's say a uh, you know, a program is going to have 25 scholarships to offer in a given year, and they get 15 or even uh, 18 of those kids to commit and sign in the early signing period. Now they only have 10 or seven 
you know, commitments left to fill their class. Now they can devote almost all their energy to those seven positions, right? Those seven uh, recruits uh, uh, that they want. Uh, and so they're going to be able to really intensify their commitment uh, or their recruitment of those players to secure those commitments. But they also know who's off the table and who's still on the table because of all the guys that have already signed early. So now the, it just clarifies a bunch of stuff. Now, I believe the intensity of recruiting after that early signing period and before the second one is going to be uh, something to behold. And I think after a while, more and more players, young people, and their families are going to discover that it ain't worth it uh, because of the intensity. Right. Uh, and, that, and that they're going to be wise to go through their process, make sure they get their visits in so that they can make their decision prior to that. And that puts more and more visits into that earlier visit time frame that we just talked about in April to June and or during the football season. All of those things, in my opinion, benefit uh, the team we love, Nebraska, because Nebraska's game day is, a, is one of the better game day experiences in college football. Um, the criticisms of, of, of Nebraska would be it's um, a relatively uh, small population base and the fact that it can get cold there in the winter, right? But you don't experience that so much if you're – if you're there for the football season, you know, uh, the really horrible weather tends to come in January and February when you'd be trying to close on these recruits. Right. Uh, so uh, having most of them in before then is, is I think, going to be a positive thing for Nebraska's brand going forward. Um, and then there's a, thir there's a third thing, Alex, and then I'll let you make your comments on it. I, the, the third big deal is uh, the addition of a 10th coach. And right. that's obviously going to change recruiting because now each one of the major programs is going to be, be able to retain one more really good coach, really good recruiter. Okay, It's going to allow them to spread out their roles and responsibilities, which is going to enhance the value of recruiting, but also enhance the coaching that's going on on the field. And so that's a big deal uh, for uh, you know the coaching profession and for the game itself. I think you're going to see some improved performance on the field. And you're also going to see the rich get richer, so to speak, because of that 10th coach. I mean, that, that's really a non-issue in terms of the money it costs to pay for that 10th coach. And so many schools now have these massive non-coach staffs like the Alabamas. And now even Nebraska is really starting to add on. And we have quite a, uh, quite a few more, more people in that non-coaching roles than we used to. And, and as time goes on, I think you're going to continue to see more and more of that NFL-like staff uh, structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. We, and we talked about a lot of this uh, on the previous podcast that we did in terms yes. of like the, the ramifications that the early signing period and the, the early official visits could have on the sport. I think what you say is interesting. If we are to presume that, yeah, like 90% of recruits are going to sign by that December date, then that means that from that December to February period, you know, all of the attention of all the coaches could be focused on that 10% that hasn't signed. And yeah, yeah I, I agree. That could get pretty intense. Well, I, I hope it's not 90%. I, I, and I'm sure initially it won't be 90%. I suspect initially it, it, it's going to be quite a bit closer to 50%. Uh, you know, 50 to 60 or something. But as a coaching staff, for example, you know, Nebraska sits at, you know, like eight commitments today. 
um, and we've got a relatively small class. We're probably going to be between 15 and 20 recruits. So we're almost halfway there. And based on what you know, we can perceive from you know the various uh, experts in recruiting, it wouldn't surprise me if we were at 12 to 14 of those recruits already committed before the season even begins, and we would hold just a few back, uh, you know, three or four for those final, you know, uh, guys that that are going to want to play it out to the very end, and we'll we'll hang on to those, you know, uh, scholarships so that we can give them to those premier type difference maker athletes that we think we really want and we have a chance at. So, uh, you know, that just allows you to focus so much attention on those few positions you have left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I saw the thing about the 10th assistant coach as well. I agree with what you said that that could, you know, definitely have an effect on recruiting and coaching in general, you know, you can afford to, you know, have another position available. Right. Um, another one I thought was interesting was, um, and I correct me if I have this a little messed up, but it was something about like that you can only off you have 25 scholarships available and that they put more limitations on like basically on over signing um, on like how how you can offer those 25 scholarships uh, to you kids. know, I don't know. I, I don't know that. So maybe you can share that with me. OK, well, I'll have to pull that up then. Um, find out what where i found that um and i saw something also about like a longer summer dead dead period for recruiting um seems like you know which i think is good to see you know we've talked about like coaches having to kind of protect themselves from their own competitiveness right right well and and the other thing with coaches is um they not only that, that, that will it allow them to kind of have a life, right? Uh, but that that whole limitation thing is is going to give them some some time to to uh, you know get themselves healthy, right? I mean, you're starting to read more and more about these guys that are just wearing down. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and well, and I I, I like the thing about the the scholarships, um, just from the perspective of. Uh, you know, cutting down on what we've talked about, like the oversigning, the gray shirts, you know, that's kind of become a more popular thing in football, but I don't think it's, you know, good for long-term for the sport, certainly. Right. And I would be curious, I guess I'll have to do some research as well, and we can share that with our podcast listeners uh, if we find that. Yeah, those are some areas that, uh, you know, all those programs have an intent purpose and there's a legitimate reason to have those programs, but uh, there's so much abuse of them where they get kind of skewed into being used to, you know, corner, uh, you know, and store players or to, you know, uh, kind of provide them a path out the back door so you can replace them. You know, it's all part of that roster management concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. Um, I was able to find this article. Um, I was talking about the, uh, the, these rules um, from this uh, NCAA committee, and um, it says here, uh, also bundled in the proposals that the limitation of annual scholarships to 25, this is a move to do away with the oversigning and to reduce the practice of gray shirting, da-da-da-da. Uh, Before rules limited uh, to 25, the number of prospects allowed to sign from December 1st through May 31st. 
Um, and the, it says the legislation limits to 25 the number of prospects whose aid is initially offered in the fall term of an academic year. So, I, 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 you know, based on that description, I still struggle to understand exactly what they changed. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, that's not clear to me. So I'll have to get a little deeper into that. But if it, if it in fact, does start to limit uh, uh, teams so that they cannot do the, uh, you know, signing 28 or 31 players, uh, you know, on a given year because they're pulling people forward and they're, they're gray shirting people backwards and all that kind of stuff. Um, to me, that would be a good thing because it, it eliminates the ability of the haves to stockpile talent and it, and it kind of redistributes the wealth a little bit that way um, so that, uh, so that um, you know, more teams are going to have access to some of those, uh, you know, top-tier athletes that maybe don't quite get in on the first row of the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, I guess before you could offer more than 25 scholarships in that, like, fall period before December, and now they're saying, no, you can only offer 25. That's that's what it sounds like to me. Right, and, and see, the reason they could do that is because the way, the way it's structured now, uh, you need to be at 85 scholarships, uh, you know, on the first day of classes or something along those lines. I don't know if it's the first day of practice or the first day of classes, but bottom line, sometime in August, right, Mm -hmm. Most teams have to be below 85 in their scholarships. Well, what that means is, is that if you're a team and you can sign up to 25, uh, well, if you sign 25 on a given year, like Nebraska, for example, this year, we only have like 15 seniors. So if we signed 25 players, which we're, we could sign, we could sign 25 players, you know, if there were no other rules other than the NCAA rules and, and oversigned by those 10 players. And then we would have to just make sure that our roster was diminished so that it would be below 85 total by, you know, August 25th. And, and uh, so you escort some people out, you, you, uh, you know, a couple of kids self-delete because they quit or transfer, a few kids get in trouble with the law, and voila, you, you get there, okay? So you always want to be over-signed by, you know, four or five players because, you know, from the time that uh, uh, February signing date happens to the, to the August 25th date, there's going to be five out of those 85 kids that are going to either choose to leave or, or be forced to leave because they got in trouble academically or uh, in, with the law, you know. So, so it's just the nature of, uh, you know, our society. So, so what the, what the well, well-equipped, you know, roster management schools do is they make sure that they go into that season of uh, February to, to August, you know, through the summer, uh, with more than 85 scholarships, knowing mm-hmm. that they'll be there at 85. Well, you, you, then you have uh, a lot of other schools that have tended to, because of tighter rules with certain conferences like the Big Ten, where most of those schools are below or are right at 85 or just a few below that to begin with. And then as the season's uh, attrition or the, the summer's uh, attrition uh, occurs, most of those teams are going to start their new football season in August with 80 instead of 85 scholarships. And that doesn't sound like much, but when you think about it, uh, five extra scholarship viable athletes, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. That can be a very big deal on a, on a particular team. And so what ends up happening is some of those, you know, scholarships end up getting consumed by, you know, senior walk-ons and things of that nature. But, but still, if you're going to maximize your team, 
in this day and age, you want to roster management that so that you don't have any scholarships left, that you're right at 85. So mm-hmm. anyway, right. that's, the, that's the premise. Right. And based on what I understand, you know, it's, you know, even Nebraska, you know, and teams will like, you know, oversign a little bit, you know, accounting for yep. that, that, uh, you know, that normal attrition, as you referred to it. Uh, but the, the trick is that, you know, the Alabamas and the, you know, the roster management teams of the world are oversigning by like, you know, nine scholarships and then really finding, you know, what, when there's some who get weeded out just because of, you know, transferring or, uh, you know, uh, trouble with the law or whatever, then the others, uh, they have to find more creative ways to get them down right. to 85. Right. And, you know, uh, the SEC has done some things to try to curtail that within their conference, but they still have not uh, gone as aggressive as as some of the other leagues like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have done. And so you'd like to see the NCAA kind of implement something that was maybe a little bit more stringent and across the board so that all the conferences were kind of forced to, to follow that rule so that you didn't have this roster management thing occurring where guys are being asked to basically give up their eligibility for the betterment of the team because they're not good enough. And, and that's what's happening at the end of the day. I mean, they, you can give it any name you want. You can call it this, that, or the other thing. You can call it injury. You can call it whatever. But the reality is that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, is there anything so, else you want to do, nope, uh, talk about nope, today? Nope, not, not today. And so, what the, uh, But uh, we can look forward to having another podcast here in, uh, in about, uh, uh, well, within, uh, for next month. Uh, and uh, we'll have to make that one really special because uh, it'll be live right here from Traverse City, Michigan. That's right. And with our special guest, uh, Uncle AJ. That's right. Absolutely. Brother AJ. All right. Very cool. So uh, if you all out there enjoy this podcast, you can find us on footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. If you search for College Football Throwdown, you can leave us ratings and reviews on there. You can comment on the Podomatic uh, page um, I just like hearing from our fans and all that good stuff uh, so with that teaser for next time you know we will uh, you know you know something I would I would say Alex is is that uh, something I've just recently learned of about iTunes is is that really want to encourage anybody that does listen to this podcast go ahead and give us a rating uh, take just a couple of minutes and it doesn't take long through iTunes to give us a rating and that actually helps move us up the list uh, of uh, you know, uh, podcasts within a, a given um, category like sports, uh, so that more and more people would see it. So the more people that that give us reviews, uh, the the more likely we are to be able to be seen by others who might not know about us. So so sure do appreciate anybody taking the time to give us a review on on iTunes or Podomatic because that's how those uh, uh, applications you know rank uh, their various podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got to game those algorithms. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all out there for listening, college football fans. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.